There's not a program, activity, strategy in the world that can produce spiritual results. The results are produced by the Spirit of God. It's not what we bring to the table, it's who sits at the table that we come to. And we can cry out to Him for results. Welcome to Living a Legacy, featuring the Bible teaching ministry of Crawford Lorenz. What is the primary role of Christians today? Well, if you read Matthew chapter 28, you'd have to conclude it's all about sharing the gospel and making disciples. So how are we doing with that? Join us as Crawford concludes his series in the book of Matthew called For His Kingdom. If you're new to our program, our teacher has been a pastor, conference speaker, seminary professor, and author. His ministry spans over 50 years. His books include Your Marriage, Today and Tomorrow, Unshaken, and Leadership as an Identity. The messages we feature on Living a Legacy come from Crawford's 15 years as pastor of Fellowship Bible Church of Roswell, Georgia. Today, Crawford heads the Christian leadership mentoring ministry known as Beyond Our Generation. Well, today we'll continue in Matthew chapter 28, verses 16 through 20. It's the second half of Crawford's message, Why Are We Here?, Let's join him now for a look at discipleship here on Living a Legacy. This is where the dynamic and movement of the church takes place. Through the years, I've been to some discipleship conferences and this kind of thing that has left me flat because all they did was market the process, market a plan. And the dynamic of the person of Jesus was somehow buried in, in the charts and the scenarios and Here's what you do first, here's what you do next, here's what you do that. And that becomes very transactional, but discipleship is not just transactional, it's transformational. And that's what he means. Uh, Dr. Leon Morris, in his wonderful commentary in the book of Matthew, he actually comments on this, makes this observation. He says, Jesus is not giving a command that will merely secure nominal adherence to a group, but one that will secure wholehearted commitment to a person. The best way of demonstrating functionally our allegiance to Jesus is by making disciples. Not by attending a class, not by coming to church, not by sitting in a group, not by reading a book, not by going to a conference. The best way of demonstrating my allegiance to Jesus is by making disciples. Now that's the focus, what's the method? Well, there are three participles here. I mean, Jesus just broke it out brilliantly. Brilliantly. There are three participles. The way you're going to do this thing, make disciples, is by going, baptizing, and teaching. Going, baptizing, and teaching. Now, you, you would miss the first participle because it's not translated that way, but trust me, um, uh, it, this is in Greek uh, grammar, this is what is known as a uh, circumstantial participle. You, 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 you pick it up here in verse 19, um, and he says, uh, go therefore and make disciples of all the nations. The word go there could have been translated as or while you are going, going, make disciples. There's some interesting implication to all of this. And what he's, what he's saying is that, look, 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 look. Number one, number one, discipleship is movement. You're not going to make disciples by staying where you are. It presupposes taking the initiative. But the implication of the, of the circumstantial participle is this, though. It also means that in the daily living of your life, you're to be looking for opportunities to make disciples. 
as you go to the mall, as you go to the store, as you walk across campus, as you sit down on the airplane, as you have, you're sitting in a break room with someone, as you interact with people at the bank, no matter where you are, this matter of making disciples is so obsessively important that in the daily concourse of your life, always you're looking for opportunities to talk much about Jesus and to bring people into contact with him. So while or as you're going, make disciples, but it also has, it also has, has a geographic, ethnic component to it. You said, ethnic, you're stretching this. No, I'm not. Make disciples of all the nations. Ethnos is the Greek term there. In other words, Jesus said, this is my passion for the world. And he reiterates this in Acts 1.8. Where we go? Every follower of Jesus is to be a world Christian because we want every tribe, every tongue, every nation become passionate followers of the Savior that we know and love. So it's the going. The second way in which you do this is by baptizing. Let's say a couple of words about this here. Baptism back then, regrettably, meant something far more significant than it does to us today. Baptism back then meant radical, visible identification with Jesus. It meant that you were going to break with everything else to publicly identify with Jesus. And don't miss this point. He's not just talking about people who come up here, and this is wonderful, this is a public demonstration, and I'm always moved to tears when we're baptized. Uh, but, 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 but what he means by that is a little bit more than just going in the water and coming out. It means that I am willing to live a life under the lordship of Jesus Christ that identifies with him in all things, no matter what it costs me. That's the implication of the term baptism. That's what I want to do. And so to be a follower of Jesus, to be a disciple of Jesus means that I'm all in. I'm all in. And I, and I, I got to tell you this. Let me, let me, let me just kind of like bear my heart here. I got, I got to tell you this. Guys like me and some of the messages that I've listened to in the past that I've even preached here has not helped you much. Sometimes, sometimes in our desire to not offend you or, or not, not bruise the fruit in the, in the congregation, uh, uh, not to preach hard truths to you, uh, we, don't, we, we want you to keep coming back, we want you to keep giving your money, we want you to keep moving things down the pike, that we settle for a gospel that entertains you or that only takes it a little bit incrementally out from where you are so you don't get too offended. But I got to tell you, when you read the New Testament and you read passages like this and you, you, you sense the stake that Jesus is driving in the ground, you don't, you don't see preachers standing up coddling an audience and wanting them to be like or like what they're having to say. You see them challenging them to Christ's likeness. And, and I think the evangelical church in the United States has been pampered for too long. We have had leaders who have reflected the congregation and not lead them to the cross. Not lead them to the difficult things. And I think we've under-challenged you and done ourselves a disservice. And as you read texts like this, Jesus lays down the gauntlet, look, look, baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And there was no cultural Christianity that he was referring to. None whatsoever. And I want to say a word about this too here. If you're a follower of Jesus, but you've not been baptized, 
I would encourage you, I would encourage you to be baptized. No, no, you can go to heaven without being baptized. However, to not be baptized as a follower of Jesus at a certain point is an act of disobedience. It's an act of disobedience, and we need to be baptized. Now, some might say, well, you know, I was baptized out of a religious tradition where I was baptized as an infant, this kind of thing, and I became a believer later on. Is that okay? Well, you know, again, we, we, we don't pick fights here at Fellowship, but according to what I understand and we teach, the Bible teaches, no, believer's baptism is, is what is taught in the New Testament and would encourage you to do that. And the third way in which we do this, going, baptizing, and teaching Followers of Christ are grounded in God's word. Discipleship is anchored in the scriptures, okay? When Jesus is teaching them to observe all that I commanded you, he's really talking about the objective statements that I've given to you, and I would argue that he's putting this on the level, he's he's really, by implication, talking about all of the word of God, the entire counsel of God's word. And at the core to discipleship is not a bunch of spiritual experiences. And I would warn you, I would warn you, because there's some, there's, some, there's some discipleship programs and processes out there that trouble me a little bit because the experience is more central than the truth of God's word. You got to be very careful of that stuff. When you get involved in these discipleship programs that are so emphasized on the application that they only mention content a little bit. It's dangerous because inherent in how Jesus says you make disciples is a celebration of truth, that a disciple has to know the truth. He has to know it. He's got to live it, and then he has to share it. That's what he means by that. And discipleship is not based on a series of spiritual experiences, but on the Word of God. And so, again, I want to encourage you, stay away from any discipleship relationship that is not centered on the Word of God. That's what we're all about. This book is life. And the Spirit of God uses this book to produce Christ's likeness. And, and uh, so why do we do it? Why do we do it? And I just want to summarize Matthew, I mean, Luke chapter 24, verses 44 through 48, because the why comes from Luke's rendition of the Great Commission. And he says there are two big reasons why we do it. One is because of what we've heard. Luke shares what Jesus says to the disciples here in verse uh, 44. He says, then he said, meaning Jesus to them, these are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. And then verse 45, then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures and said to them, thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead and that repentance and forgiveness of sin should be proclaimed in his name to all nations beginning from Jerusalem. Listen, let me just click this off for the sake of time. What Jesus is saying is, look, 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 look. I've opened your mind to understand something. And you've heard this. And now I want to give you understanding into what you heard. Uh, They understood verse 45, the scriptures. Uh, you, You understand the scriptures. You're looking at me now, my post-resurrection body, and you've understood the scriptures relative to me, those prophecies concerning me. 
And I'm opening your mind to understand it. Secondly, Jesus said, I'm causing you to understand more profoundly in verse 46, my death and resurrection. The disciples heard death, but they didn't get resurrection. Of course, they see it now. He's there talking to them. But I want you to understand this. You know, why, why did he give them the scriptures? Why did he talk about the resurrection and, and, and understanding profoundly his death? Because he wants to give them a sense of confidence about their message. And that's what he says in verse 47. I'm opening your mind to understand uh, uh, the message and the mission. You, you need to proclaim repentance and the forgiveness of sins. You need to do it with confidence. You heard these things. Many of us have sat here for year after year after year with open Bibles, taking notes. We've been in classes. We heard these things. And then secondly, he says, you know, we do it. We do it because we've heard it. But number two, we do it because of what we've experienced. Verse 48, he says, and you are witnesses of these things. This is not a commission to witness. This is different from Acts 1.8, and it's different from Matthew 28, 18 through 20. In context, what he's saying to them, no, 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 no. You saw this. You saw it. You're witnesses of this. Peter, James, John, Bartholomew, Andrew, Philip, you, you, you saw this. You, you heard the sermon about it. You saw me raise the dead. You saw me heal people. I, I rose from the dead. You saw your witnesses. What does it say? It that what you saw should change your life and make you obsessed about the message. How can you sit there with what you've experienced? You remember when you came to Christ? Remember your eyes were open? Remember how clean you felt? Paul going to persecute Christians, rode to Damascus. Jesus said, yo, dude, had enough. Time out, Paul. Jesus shows up, and the reason why Paul was martyred for the cause of Christ and would not back down was because of what he saw. I'm reading a fabulous book right now entitled Messy Grace by Caleb Kaltenbach. Caleb's parents were members of the LGBT community. And Caleb went about, because he loved his parents and all these Christians who were saying stupid, idiotic, dismissive, hateful things. His passion was to discredit them. So as a, as a teenager, 16 years old, his strategy was, you know, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to go to some of these Bible studies and pretend that I'm a Christian, and I'm going to learn everything that there is to learn about Christians so I can dismantle the argument. He ran into a little bit of a problem, though. <laughs> he met some sure enough real Christians. <laughs> and what happened is that he got transformed. He got changed. And part of his argument is I couldn't fight what I saw. He's a pastor now. <laughs> That's what the gospel does. Let's not forget what we saw, what we do, why we do it, then what we depend on. Some argue that John does not give a great commission account in the gospel of John. I, I used to feel like, but I sort of disagree with it. I, I believe that John gives his rendition, but he puts it back over in the upper room discourse. I believe John's rendition of the Great Commission are the words of Jesus in John chapter 15, verse 16. 
you did not choose me, but I chose you and ordained that you should go and bring forth fruit and that your fruit should remain. Then he links in that one verse prayer. Interesting. That whatever you ask in my name, my name, it shall be given to you or done for you. So what do we depend on? Well, we, didn't, we depend on prayer. Making disciples is an impossible task. It is spiritual in its very nature. There's not a program, activity, strategy in the world that can produce spiritual results. The results are produced by the Spirit of God. It's an impossible thing, and we need to cry out and depend upon him. But see, this is where the power comes. The power does not come in our giftedness. It doesn't come in our abilities. It doesn't come in our backgrounds or talents. It's not what we bring to the table. It's who sits at the table that we come to. It's our great God that's told us to do this, and we can cry out to him for results. Listen to me. I don't think we're praying enough. I really don't think we're praying. If we, if we were as desperate for God to show up as we are about other things in our lives, God would show up. God would start doing things in this church that you could never dream of or imagine. But it's going to take an army of us to get serious about what God is obsessed with and begin crying out to heaven for him to do it. Church, the time for cultural, comfortable Christianity is over. It's over. And secondly, we do it by the power of the Holy Spirit. You go back to the Luke text. And it's interesting, Luke also is the author of the book of Acts. It's interesting that he repeats himself, this account over there, actually, the account of Jesus over in in Acts 1. But notice, you know, it's, it's, it's really interesting to me how he gives these words of Jesus and how Jesus opens their mind. They understand the scriptures. Uh, man, they, 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 they understand his death and resurrection, and, and they, they, they understand their mission. But he put the brakes on. Verse 49, he says, Behold, I'm sending the promise of the Father upon you, but stay in the city until you're clothed with power from on high. In Acts 1, he does the same thing. Jesus comes. And he says, he says, but don't leave. Don't leave until you receive the power of the Spirit. Do you see what he's doing there? You see what he's doing there? He's saying, this is impossible apart from the control and power of the Spirit of God. You can't do it. You cannot do it do it. You cannot make disciples in the energy of the flesh. It's going to come through the surrender to the power of the Spirit of God. It will change you. It will shatter your fears. I I just need to tell you this. I I am, believe it or not, I've spoken to crowds for all these years and all this stuff, whatever. Believe it or not, I'm a very private person. Seriously. She'll tell you that if, if, if I had my way, I could sit in a corner with a stack of books and just slide me some food every once in a while, and I'm cool. I'm cool, really. I, I'm, I'm, I'm cool. I'm, I'm a low-maintenance dude. I, I am not naturally, on a personal level, I'm not naturally a very bold person. I'm not. 
I've learned from experience that the Spirit of God changes who we are. And when you yield to the person and the power of the Spirit of God, there's no telling what he can do in and through you. If we just had several hundred people in this church who consistently walked in the power of the Holy Spirit, we'd have to be splitting off and starting new churches every three, five, six months. God wants, God wants to make disciples. God wants to use us. The question is one of willingness. So I end this way by saying, who are you pouring your life into? Who are you pouring your life into? Who are you meeting with regularly? Who are you praying with? Praying for boldness? Praying for opportunities to share the gospel? Praying for lost people? Have we gotten so busy that the margins of our lives are squeezed in? We're to be delightfully obsessed with what the Savior is obsessed with. We're here to make disciples. I got some holy discomfort. I got some discomfort about Crawford's life along these lines, and I got some discomfort about our church. I don't want us hear me on this, I don't want us to get, get satisfied because a few shekels are coming in and the building's going up and, you know, we're seeing some incremental progress in here and there. That's not the bar. That's not the standard. That's not the standard. We need to see more conversions, more people coming to Jesus. We, we, we need to see more lives being translated. Transform. We need to see more leadership raised up. We need to see more people leaving this church and planting churches and going to the world with the gospel. We need to see more prodigals coming home. We need to see more victory in our families and our marriages strengthened. We, we need a visitation of the Spirit of God. And I don't want to be satisfied with success with programs. Holy Father, thank you for the grace of God. Thank you for what you're doing in our lives, Lord. And I I pray, Father, for holy energy for all of us. I pray, Lord Jesus, that we will evaluate the decisions and choices that we make over against what you said is our holy obsession. And Lord, may we be appropriately missional in our choices and decisions, looking for opportunities to get people to Jesus. May we walk in your power and spirit in Jesus' name. Crawford Loritz, our speaker here on Living a Legacy, with a message called, Why Are We Here? Certainly a good reminder about why, as Christians, we need to be about the work of evangelism and discipleship. A great study today from Matthew chapter 28. Thank you, Crawford. Well, if you missed out on parts of this message, listen to the entire broadcast on our website at livingalegacy.org, livingalegacy.org. Crawford's messages are also available to download for free. Look for the MP3 link on the website. We're always grateful for your interaction with us. Let us know how Crawford's study in Matthew was helpful. Just a few sentences will help us know living a legacy is meeting a need. Write to legacy at moody.edu. That's legacy at moody.edu. 
Thanks for being with us today. For Crawford Moritz, I'm Bill Davis. This program is a production of Moody Radio, a ministry of Moody Bible Institute.